0: simple. So Buddhism is about life and death. Buddhism is about, you know, how to live your life and then how to die well. So let me tell you about a a sad occurrence that happened with, with Leo. Little Leo the cat. Little Leo the cat came to us two years ago. Scrawny little guy, limped really bad, hadn't eaten for a while, had worms, had fleas, you know. And he sought refuge in our backyard. And so we got food there all the time, so I just, little Leo, moved in, and we fed him, and he's doing fine. But after two years, he, he had renal failure, and, and his kidneys just sort of went out on him. And, and so I really felt bad about Leo, because Leo was really lonely. I don't think he was going through any kind of physical pain, but he was going through loneliness pain. And he, and he would cry until I would go and, and, and pet him. And so I decided towards the end of his life that I would bring him into my room and, and I would put him on my bed. But because he had renal failure, I had these big black trash bags and I had towels and then there was little Leo there. So we, we slept in the same bed for three days until he died. And, and he didn't cry once, he really enjoyed sleeping with me and he put his little face in my face, you know, and we'd exchange breath all night long. And, um, but that's what cats do. And, and then he started to die. and he, So he crawled out of my bed and he went on the floor. And it was almost like he didn't want anybody around. And I cats sometimes will go hide to die. So little Leo found his way into a part of my room that I wasn't in. And, and he just sort of laid down. And then I heard him crying a little bit again. So I went over and pet him and told him it was okay. Because I think they have something in them that allows them to die much easier than we have in us because we have this ego who wants to be in charge and not want to die. So I had this little black box and it has, it has recorded Buddhist chanting on a chip and it goes over and over and over again forever and ever and ever. So I turned it on and put it by little Leo's head. And then I had the TV on and it was 12.15 Christmas Day. So it was, it was just after Christmas Eve, and we went into the Christmas day, and it was 1215, and I was watching the Pope, because I loved the majesty of the Pope speaking, and it was just huge, you know, temples and churches and people dressed with big hats, and it was just great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching the Pope speak, and, and during the Pope's talk, little Leo dies. He has like a few little, you know, minor little spasms, and he's gone. So I I just put a little towel over him and I kept the little Buddhist chanting thing there all night long until the next morning when I went out and buried him. And then it dawned on me, as I lay down to go to sleep, that little Leo was probably part Catholic (laughs) and needed to hear the Pope before it was okay to go. So I'm thinking we should all be so lucky to have all the things necessary for us to go well. And maybe we will. But Buddhism has allowed me to look at death in a much different way than I used to. I used to look at death as a failure. Now I look at death as another chance, thanks to Buddhism. So I'm talking to a woman two weeks ago in Simi Valley after a talk. She's 70 years old, and she's deathly afraid of dying. So she pulls me aside after my talk and says, I am so afraid of dying, can you help me? Well, you know, I mean, that's after making a presentation and everybody hugs you and then all of a sudden, bang, reality hits you in the face, you know. And so I looked at her and I said, uh, who's going to die? And she said, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I said, well, who is going to die? What part of you doesn't want to die? And she didn't have an answer, but she hadn't watched PBS like I had. I knew what the answer was. I said, it's your ego. That's the one thing in your whole makeup that doesn't want to die. What you need to do is figure out how to allow the ego to die. And she said, well, how do I do that? Do I just tell myself? I said, well, you can't just tell yourself because it's like the ear hearing, the eye seeing. The self can't be told to itself what it needs to do because we've all tried that and it doesn't work. So I said, what you have to do is create conditions necessary for death to happen. Well, you know, she came and asked me the most profound question. Of the day, I, I, there's no simple answers to this. And she said, what, "What? What do you mean by creating conditions necessary?" I said, "Well, you have to practice dying." She said, "Well, how do you practice dying?" I said, "You meditate. You sit quietly for 20 minutes, and you die into the present moment. You let go of everything you're supposed to do and need to do for 20 minutes." And all the thoughts and, and fears and emotions that arise in those 20 minutes, you just sort of let them go. You watch them. You let them exist without any pressure to stay longer or to leave sooner. You're just sort of with that. She says, well, what does that, how does that translate into dying? I said, well, death is just letting go of everything forever. If you can practice for years letting go of everything for 20 minutes, by the time you have to let go of everything forever you might be ready. So, you know, she I, she left babbling to herself. and And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, that's what I get for going right after the answer when somebody's not ready, which was me 20 years ago, not ready to hear any of this stuff. And if somebody did tell me, I wouldn't have understood it. You know? So I'm real lucky that I have found teachers at the level that I could understand. It's like wanting to learn the guitar and you go talk to Eric Clapton. (laughs) You know, he can show you so much stuff to do, you won't be able to do it. You need to find somebody who's just started guitar a day before you did, and you can do what he does. You know, so when you find your meditation teacher, you may have to travel from teacher to teacher for a while because you'll be evolving and you might need just a little deeper teacher or a little more practical teacher or whatever that case might be until you get to the place where it doesn't matter. And then everybody becomes your teacher. The teacher will show you what to do and the teacher will show you what not to do. And everybody in the world is there for us, sharing that with us whether they know it or not. So I had my teacher, my last Dharma teacher, for 16 years and he died. You know? And so somebody asked me, well, so who was your next teacher? I said, well, my next teacher was the Buddha. <laughs> he's there all the time because he's not. I can look at his teachings, I can look at his life. Uh, he answers my questions when I need him to answer the questions, and he's silent when I don't need the answer because he allows me to answer it myself. So teachers are really important and we're going to have teachers all along our path. And, and if we're clear enough about what we need, you know, the teacher will appear. And if not, PBS. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions or comments about what I've said today? Yes? I
1: have a question. Um, you're talking about uh, your journey from... Christianity into Buddhism and I grew up having to go to church and being in the choir and doing all that stuff and never believing it and never I just it was a ritual and I had to do it. And uh, but I was introduced to books in flesh then done when I was about twelve years old and it really spoke to me. And ever since then I've kind of been on and off that off the path of Buddhism. And so but Christianity stays with me in some ways in that um, at one point I remember I was going for surgery and in the moments before I was put under I was told I had a heart condition and there was a problem and I all of a sudden found myself praying to God which I haven't done in, in maybe 20 years and I'm wondering if you've had that experience where your Christianity uh, or growing up with Christianity comes in and I've like worked on I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not believing that there's a God that's going to take care of me and that uh, that comes from myself. I'm wondering if you've ever
0: had that experience. You know, you know I have to say that that I probably haven't had that experience. You I, I have not. I have not had that experience. I have not gone back to Christianity, but, I, but I, you know, I was a Christian until I was 11, so I didn't have a, a lot to work with yes. anyway, but... Um, and but it's it's not that unusual. I mean in Asian countries, for instance, Sri Lanka, I was there in 1995. Every Buddhist temple right next door to the Buddhist temple is a Hindu temple with all the gods. And so the Buddhists go offer the flowers to the Buddha the great teacher, you know, defines ultimate reality and then they go next door to the Hindu gods and say, "Can you find my husband a job?" <laughs> And so it's not that unusual. And, and until Mahayana came along, there weren't many gods in Buddhism. They were all in Hinduism. Then we had Buddhist saints um, like the Bodhisattvas. You know, Kuan Yin, Bodhisattva of Compassion, Manjushri, Wisdom, things like that. Humans seem to need seem to need something greater than they are in order to feel comfortable. And I've often wondered if what we're seeking is the ultimate parent who will take care of us, who will, you know, um, we can confide in them, uh, they will make things better. And, and it's such a pleasant idea, you know, that I, I can see why, if that's the reality of the situation, why it's so important. For me, what, it, what attracted me to early Buddhism in particular, which I still find to speak to me the loudest, though I can understand more Zen than I have in the past, was the fact that these were men, mostly men, some women, but mostly men, who decided that the answer to their existence was on the inside, not on the outside. And they would do ascetic practices to force that inside realization out and 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 for me it was such a radical change from belief to practice that that if we are in trouble what we do then is practice more not less and and what we wait for is the answer and the answer may be encrypted it may not be obvious when it appears and it may take us a while to see it and then understand it but apparently we have all the answers necessary for all the questions we're ever going to come up with. And it's just a matter of looking inside rather than outside. So when I'm in a situation, um, for instance, when the cat bit me, little Leo is the one who bit me, as a matter of fact, um, um, I went to the hospital. I had to have an operation. So there I was, and there was this chaos, and everybody's got things to do, and there's shiny instruments, and and I'm half-naked, and they're going to operate on my finger, and, and they're going to put me under, you know? And so what was my reaction to that? I said, you know, please, don't put me under, I meditate. And the reason I said that and thought that was the fact that my refuge, one of my main refuges is my awareness now. And I didn't want my awareness to be disturbed by chemicals, and sometimes there are lasting effects, when you go under, that don't go away. And so, so those were my thoughts. My thoughts were not, you know, God protect me. My thoughts were, I really need to practice. Please don't take that capability away from me. And, and thankfully, when I woke up, I started doing multiplication tables just to see if everything still worked. And it did. So I was really happy that they had given me just enough to put me under, but not enough to take the good stuff away. So I I don't see the world in that way so much anymore. I see it as that what has become my refuge is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And and if I'm in a situation I feel uncomfortable in, I go there, and that seems to be enough. Uh, But who's to say, when I'm dying, that I won't be a deathbed convert and invite the priest in? For the last rites, <laughs> even though I'm not a Catholic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so we never know. We have, you know, while we're healthy and clear, we have all these ideas and how it's going to be. But man, when we get there, everything is up for grabs, you know. Yeah. Thanks I for sharing. Well. Uh-huh. But, uh, like, you know, he
1: worked all these years and practiced, like he said, practiced dying all these years, and he had the same situation when he went in to, uh, to have a surgery in the same situation like he, he just all of a sudden all of that practice kind of somewhat vaporized and he, yeah. he was just like wow yeah you know?
0: he yeah felt
1: so strong in his practice and his practice in dying
0: well and this is a really interesting point about dying as well if we have a strong practice if we continue our practice right to the end what they say about our practice, it will have its own momentum, and, and and it will continue without us. And I think that's an interesting idea. I hope. I hope so too. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hi. I you could, the the topics, and I really appreciate it. And I was actually really hoping that we touch on some of that stuff. Just to, to pick up on that concept, the. I gone to another spiritual recovery program where a lot of the stuff that I learn in these talks is really relevant and helps me there. But one of the big topics there is the concept of a higher power. Yes, so there is something bigger than ourselves. Uh and I wonder.
0: So, what is it? Huh? I'm trying to find the bridge between that <laughs> and what you just said. Yeah. Well, no, that that's really good. And and um, you know when you when they say higher power, you know that would lead me to believe there's lower powers and higher powers and middle powers. <laughs> so, you know, and so which one am I? You know, what category do I fall in and, and who falls in all the other categories? Uh, I think the idea of having a higher power allows us to become selfless, allows us to step aside. And, and assuming there's something there to take over then we aren't involved in the process in the way we were before. Because when we were involved in the process, the process didn't work very well, not to our advantage, our disadvantage. So, so it's this idea of stepping aside. Okay, it, I find in meditation, do you, do you meditate on a regular basis? Okay, do you get to a place where you, you transcend self? Have you been to a place where self sort of shuts down, it gets a little quiet? My mind certainly quiets down. Your mind mind quiets down, self, yeah. There's like a lot of other stuff going on when self's not involved. Self is one of the primary things because that's who we think we are. But when you start to see all the other stuff that's happening when self gets anesthetized through the practice of meditation... Maybe maybe that's what they're talking about. When they say higher self, maybe they're really saying no self. You know, let the no self or let the not self take over for a while. Now, this can be problematic because if it's not rooted in discipline, sila, which would be the precepts, then it could go either way. And And I think... In my understanding of Buddhism, that's why emphasis on taking the precepts is so important. Not to kill, not to steal, blah, blah, blah. The foundation of the meditation practice. That foundation allows you to feel comfortable in those selfless states because it's rooted in personal discipline, virtue, morality. So even though you're selfless, you won't get into trouble. If you don't take the precepts and simply say to yourself, "I won't do anything bad when I become selfless," you know, I think we're giving ourselves too much credit. And so, so, so for me, the higher power would be a state of selflessness. Now, is there anything else there? Um, God could be there, okay, but myself. getting to those places, God has never appeared. God has never been obvious to me. So I assume that he, she, it is not there. But what is there is the lack of self. It's almost an unfiltered experience of the present moment, not filtered through the colored glasses of the self. Um, It allows us to see, I think, an opportunity for change. Because self is, they say, a terrible master, but um, it's a wonderful servant when you know how to use it to serve you. Because generally speaking, it wants to serve itself, and in serving itself, it keeps us alive. But it also keeps us alive uh, at the expense of other people sometimes. You know, feelings, emotions, uh, fairness, justice—all those things and can happen. So, for me, emptiness would be the higher self. Emptiness would be the interconnectedness and interdependence of all phenomena. That when you step aside, when the little self steps aside, everything is in charge. Some people need to name everything God. Some people call it Brahma. They have a million names, but uh, I just call it emptiness. I hope that's useful. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah,
1: could you comment a little bit on Jessie Charlie and not Jessie Charlie?
0: Okay, what is it again? Could you comment on what in Paris? On what? Jessie Charlie. Oh, the French thing? Yeah. Yeah. What would you like me to comment on?
1: Well, you know, I understand that but at the same time I understand that people don't, don't like your religion characterized, or you know, um, my mind is a little bit confused. I understand, just with
0: Charlie, you we've know, friends in years, but um, well, what is the yeah, answer? I think I uh, I think the problem is uh, not the religion, but the humans, right. and and humans like to kill. We are a tough bunch, us humans, and we do it with with wonderful pizzazz, if you will. So now we have this um, movie called The Interview, and everybody's going nuts because it's our freedom of speech that is at the heart of this movie. And I thought to myself, if this third-rate comedy is the reason I have freedom of speech, I'm in trouble, (laughs) you know? And then the highest grossing movie is American Sniper. We have a man that kills women, children and men at three hundred yards. You know, and we have decided to put him as hero. And and then we the list goes on. And so why do humans enjoy killing so much? What what fascination do we have with with death? You know, is it because it's in our future as well? you know and so i'm never quite sure it, it, it the 10,000 reasons why people kill but it's never simply one thing and i'm never quite sure what kind of satisfaction they get because i in my little life go into the shower which is fiberglass and we have like little wood slats on the top and there's a big daddy long legs who lives up there and he's lived there for weeks now maybe months. And so I'm always, I always wait to turn on the water until he goes up to his little place and then I turn on the water. And I really like the little Daddy Longlegs. I mean he kills the mosquitoes. If I had to choose spider or mosquitoes, spider every day. And and he's like that's his home. That's where he goes. Now, who is going to be conscious of a spider in a shower and wait to turn on the water so it doesn't die? There's three of us, you know. <laughs> and, and when you get to that place in your life and your practice, you really spend a lot of time not killing. The ants, the cockroaches. Little Rain was playing with a mouse the other day. Found one outside. Little guy. I love those little mice. They had these little long tails and stuff. So I went over and got Rain, and she was so angry that I took her away from her mouse, giving him enough time to go hide, so when I put little Rain down, she couldn't find him anymore. And she moped around for two hours because she couldn't play and kill the mouse. And, and, and so my life is, is changing, and I think it's changing because I see how special life is. And even with seven billion people, human life is still special because it's so rare that we're born. The Buddha said, for human life to occur, it's like having a one-eyed turtle who comes up for a breath of air every hundred years. And there's an oxen yoke floating in the ocean. The chances of him coming up through the center of the oxen yoke to get his breath of air are the chances of us being born. You know, we weren't here for a really long time, and we're not going to be here again for a really long time in this incarnation. Who we are today. How much more special can that be? How much more rare and valuable can life be than that? So I'm not sure, I'm not sure there's any really good answer somebody could give. There's no answer that I could give that would make sense of the whole thing, whether it be movies or reality or war or soldiers. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just, after a while, it's just really sad. You know? So it's, it's you, you sort of bring that burden of sadness with you in everything you do because you see how little life is appreciated, you know, by so many. Sorry, I couldn't give a better answer, Hideki. You know? But if I get the answer, I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. Good. Okay, well, on that up note, let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's do loving-kindness, and, uh, and we'll call it a day. May those of us who have come together today in mind and heart be happy, peaceful, and free from suffering. May no harm come to us. May no difficulties come to us. May no problems come to us. May we always find fulfillment. May we also have patience, courage, understanding, and determination to meet and overcome the inevitable difficulties, problems, and failures in life. May the suffering ones be suffering free, the fear-struck fearless be. May the grieving shed all grief. May the sick find health relief.